Father Harrison, it's summer now. Is it? It's officially summer because I've had my two window AC units on all day, which means it's officially summer in the my book. The thing is, though, but then, so, I don't know, it's been kind of coming in and out, though. We've been getting a lot of rain here. Mm, but rain is a part of summer. Not really. Yeah, summer storms. It's... Well, rain's a part of everything because I live in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but it's probably not as bad as Vancouver Island. Probably not. I think we're definitely like, we're like the cloudy. I don't, I don't get stats for Canada because it's not a real place, but I think Pittsburgh is ranked like the, one of the cloudiest, if not the cloudiest cities in America. Wait, wait, okay. How how is it that Canada can't be a real place, but Pittsburgh can? Pittsburgh I is mean, very important. I mean, the name Pittsburgh is perhaps the fakest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's so real that we kept the H on our burg, man. You look at all the other bergs, they lost their H, but we put up a big hoopla about it. You see, that's why it's fake. Because no, then it'd be it's real. Pittsburgh. It's real and we're we are no, it's Pittsburgh. real and Pittsburgh. we're annoying about the it. Pittsburgh penguins. This wait. <laughs> Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. <laughs> I'm just pronounce the H at the end of that. But in my days, in my life, in my house, in this house, it's 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 summer. It's especially summer because I live on the third floor. Of my rectory, so it gets hot, it gets which hot. is cool because I can look down upon all the people in my territory as I as I live on the third floor. But uh, it's that time of year where I begin to think about getting a small AC unit for the chapel, but I just don't because I'm either too lazy or forgetful. Because you know I endure the hour in the chapel and then I'm like ah whatever I go about my business. But that began today, spending mm-hmm. like 15 minutes of my holy hour thinking about how I should probably get a small AC unit here instead of like dying and wanting to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the hot summer weather, but hey. So what do you do with summer weather, like outside of ACs? Like, what does that mean for you? Outside of ACs? I don't know. I don't do anything. Nobody does anything. Everyone stays inside forever. Isn't that the rules? <laughs> I've been trying to follow them. Uh, but, oh, good news. My county is moving toward the green stage, which I'm not quite sure what that means. But so you guys are doing like numbered stages. It's not phase one, phase two. It's green. Well, uh, the government's doing colors. My diocese is doing colors and numbers because we, if we categorize things, it makes us feel like we're in control. And we like to feel in control, even though no one's in control because it's a global pandemic and there is no control. There is only sadness. But... The green means for me in my in my little county that the the gyms open back up again. Oh, nice! And I I will have a new like, coping mechanism. I will be able to go to the gym and exercise instead of I don't know playing video games or chewing on nicotine gum or whatever else. You know, so right. this is this is good news. This is this is the turning of the tide. That's awesome. Uh, until we all close down again or whatever happens right. in the fall. You're so Sorry, cheering. I'm trying not to be I'm cranky. I'm in a good mood. You know why I'm in a good mood, Father Harrison? Why? why? Because I baptized a baby today. Nice. Wait, did you use a super? Did you use a super soaker? No, no, I wouldn't. Um, okay. Because that'd be a silly thing to do. We can talk about that uh, later <laughs> if you want to. But no. So I don't know how how ages work. This this little girl was in between a toddler and a baby. Adorable. The family was lovely. Yeah. We were all wearing masks. Super mm-hmm. weird, but also super lovely to do a baptism, and it made me happy. Mm-hmm. So I am happy. And nice. I'm also happy to be here with you, Father Harrison, on Clerically Speaking. Hello! I'm Hello. Anthony Sharapa, this is Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison, as he just said. So, um, I'm tired. 
Yeah, man, so am I. Do you notice how most of my conversation made no sense that last whole part of the show? <laughs> but we're, we're going to soldier on. We're going to soldier great. on. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best podcast ever. Um, I'm just, it, it's been been perhaps one of the most stressful weeks of my priesthood wow porque what's going well, on just because you have there's a lot of organizing to do for because we're in we're in the process of reopening do you we have a color have, system or a number system or do you have you a know, shape system for the province we are sorry for the diocese there's no there's no five stage plan it's just this is what we're doing right now oh now ah. but okay if there was to be a shape system what shape would equal danger and what shape would equal safety? Um, you, the shape that would equal danger would obviously be an M because it's doubly peaked pointy things and that would be really bad. Man, you went for a, like the a letter M. I was thinking like you go from like octagon to circle. Like the oh. more points you have on a shape. But, but you M went for the letter shape. M, which is a different way of thinking. My brain would not go there. <laughs> You see, and the safest one would obviously be a circle because circles yes. are signs of like plushiness and and um, and plushiness. Exactly, exactly. Everyone agrees. Everyone who listens no sharp to corners. this right now is agreeing. There's no sharp corners in a circle unless no. it's the top of a can you've just used with a can opener. That's okay, yeah. Sharp. That can be sharp. That's an imperfect circle. That's an imperfect circle, though. Um, yeah, so no, we're... We're in the throes. We had a meeting last night uh, for our, just with pastoral council and a few other groups in the parish, socially distanced in the church so we could all see how things are going to work. And they all kind of mentioned, like, we were trying to open for Pentecost. Bishop kind of gave us some leeway. And they all said, hey, this sounds like a lot of work to get done before this weekend. Yeah. And perhaps we shouldn't rush things. So why don't we wait until the first weekend of June instead and give us about 10 days to get all of the stuff together that we need? And I said, that is a wonderful idea. It is. It's great. It, it made me very happy to hear that. Um, so we're, which was great because me and my secretary have been working very hard to get all, and we've been working hard for weeks. Like it's not, we had to wait for the bishop's plan, but we still, you know, there's stuff you can know you can do locally anyways, regardless. And, and so just getting some stuff together and, it's it's a lot and a lot of work and it's just mentally it's not even if you're not doing if you're not busy with meetings and stuff it's just mm -hmm. mentally exhausting right because these are kind of big decisions and yeah. you want to do the right thing and everyone has opinions about what the right thing is to do yes. okay so not can only not only do they have opinions about the right thing to do each opinion comes with a severe moral judgment so you feel like you're being severely morally judged at all times and you're just trying to do the right thing and that yeah. is exhausting. Yeah. I'm going to be honest for a second because, yes, yes, we get we get a lot of emails saying, like, so we started a survey. We don't have a lot of people who email in this parish, but we try to get to, to lessen the phone calls that we have to do. Um, we ask people, you know, which mass, what's your first and second choice for mass? So you can sign up, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you get the, you get the responses, and then you get the 10-point... This is what I think you should do. Have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? Why you're opening too early? You're opening too late. Uh, you should never have closed. We should never reopen until there's a vaccine and everything in between. So, as a mercy to your priest, for those who are listening, if you are <laughs> tempted to do this, 
please don't. Not right now. This is not the time. Most priests are pulling their hair out, trying to just get those doors opened. Mm-hmm. Because here's the other thing. But here's where we can be helpful. Your parishes are going to need a lot of volunteers to make mass happen because you have to do a cleanup. You have to do a wipe down after every mass and stuff like this. Like I've already told people, I'm like, if we do not get enough cleaners, if we do not get a clean team for mass, that mass will not happen. Full, full stop. Mm. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, So, you know, instead of thinking, I want to get my opinion across, think, offer to help instead for now. Mm-hmm. And if you find after a few weeks your concern still hasn't been addressed, that might be a better time to bring it up. Because we've heard it all. We know it all. And your priests, most of them are good people who are just trying to do a good job. And so just trust them. Please, please just trust them. Well, you heard it first from Father Harrison. Your priest knows it all. Now it's time for the Summa Theologica. <laughs> <laughs> Summa Tweetologica Summa Tweetologica Summa Tweetologica Summa Tweetologica We talk about the Listen, listen, I'm going to misinterpret you before one of our listeners does. I've already taken the wind out of their sails. But I never said, I'm just saying we're doing our best. We don't have it all, but just like give it some time because 20 bucks says 10 other people have already asked the same question and the, the priests and their teams have already probably addressed it. Right. I mean, and also there's like good ways and not so good ways to offer advice, you yes. know, and also are you coming from a place of expertise or not? You know, right. uh, exactly. if you're like a nurse or a doctor, I'm like, oh, I am more interested in your opinion about this thing. <laughs> if you're just a dude, I'm like, ah, I love you and Jesus loves you and you're yes. a wonderful person and you may be good and knowledgeable about many things, but I just, whatever. Needless um, to oh, say, I had, I had a migraine this morning and I'm pretty sure it's because of all this stuff. So I'm drinking, I know I probably shouldn't be drinking Pepsi right now, but I'm having a lot of Pepsi right now. Good for you. No, Pepsi's good. And so is the Summa Tweetologica. That's two introductions because we didn't even do the segment last time. This this is great. I'm I'm excited to see which one Nick uses. Right. Uh, Hey, the Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. The Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter and for the first time in a long time, we have lots of choices to pick from because we've got last week's choices. We've got this week's choices. So let's start off with something sad. This is from Tommy Ty at the GH is silent. And he says, in our diocese, they are going with the whole live stream. In our diocese, they're going with the whole live stream, the mass, and then drive over for communion thing. And I can't decide if it would be an epic way for our seven-year-old to make his first communion or just a turning of a sacrament into a little more than a trip to Wendy's. And this is tough. This is very tough. This is very tough. Um, I'm assuming he means the trip to Wendy's is is lesser. You know, and I just want to clarify this because some no, people okay, think I want, to, I, I want to ask you. Yeah, like, yeah. is Wendy's is going to Wendy's lesser than the Eucharist? 
It is. It is. It is. I dare you to say that on Spicy Nugs. I think any of us, as good faithful Catholics, the other priest and the dad, would say that the Eucharist is better than Wendy's. But I don't like Wendy's being used in a derogatory uh, (laughs) context. That's what bothers me. Just because something isn't the Eucharist doesn't mean it's bad, right? Right. Like, use something uh, like uh, White Castle. Make it like, you know, and also like the, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> say the burgers are smaller. And anyway, anyway um, forget <laughs> all that. More like, they're more like a host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My brain, this is what's going to happen all day today, okay? This is just going to so, be our brain this week, folks. We're all broken here. We're okay. all broken. All right, uh, all right. So I get it. I get it because we're struggling with this as well because uh, our diocesan guidelines, and I'm sure there's a reason for this. They don't want us to distribute communion at the normal time. They want us to distribute communion after Mass. Part of Mm -hmm. that is so, because in our diocese, we're not saying people, we are saying that people can receive on the tongue. We're not trying to remove that that right. But this means they want to have stations where if you were to touch somebody's tongue, you can uh, sanitize your hands right away. So part of it is setting up the stations, I guess. Other is like either foot traffic or something. Uh, for whatever reason, we're doing this. And if you do an outdoor mass, what does that mean? Is that going to mean that there's going to be a kind of, uh, yeah, kind of like a drive through receiving the Eucharist? And this is something I really struggle with because, yes, I want people to go to mass. Yes, I want people to receive. But at what point in time are we trying to do a thing we can't do? Like, you should say mass in a Mm -hmm. reverent way. And that's very important. And that's an importance that is often lost on many of us. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we live in unprecedented times, which is silly because these are definitely precedented before. But for us, it's new and different and weird. And we want to acknowledge that and like, okay, we can't do this perfectly, but it doesn't mean we can't do it. And that kind of struggle is difficult. And then when you have like a little one who's receiving their first communion, you want it to be good and nice and memorable. <laughs> And memorable in a way that's for good reasons and not weird reasons. And so it's, I, I kind of get, or at least I empathize with like a yes, you know, you our, see, our child gets to receive first communion, but it's also a weird way for them to receive. And this just wouldn't be an issue if we had the restored order. Oh, uh, explain, because I need to take a drink. Um, Just confirmation and first communion would happen at the same time. And so you would have to be at a mass. Right. And then this wouldn't be an issue. Like in our diocese, we're just going to have some smaller masses for the kids who are ready to receive, and and um, I'll do the confirmations. We're going to get delegation from the bishop. There you go. Problem solved. Uh, wait, but this doesn't solve the problem for the people who are already old and haven't received communion. Are already old? Wait, what? I do not Restored understand. order is like I'm saying when you're old enough, you do confirmation and first communion at the same time. So then you have to go to mass. You can't just drive up and get confirmed. Uh, you can have confirmation outside the context of mass. You can, but it would be weird because if you're gonna, you have to complete the, you have to complete the initiation with the Eucharist. So you're not gonna do like a liturgy of the word. You're gonna okay. do a mass. This still doesn't solve the problem of receiving communion in a weird way. You're, I know. You're trying know. to make it sound. It, 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 you're shoehorning your theological opinions into this. You're using the crisis, Father Harrison. To take advantage of the people of God, I'm just. And I don't saying... appreciate it because I am a man of the of the people. No, you're not. 
Yes, yes, I am. No, you're not. Um, okay. Uh, so, what's, what's your take on this tweet? I, 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 I get the difficulty. I think I, there's a there's a plus and a minus to it, right? Like, it would be an absolutely unique way to do a first communion, but at the same time, it would remove. You know, it, it can be seen as a bit of a a drive and get the sacraments as as you see fit without the co- connection to mass and stuff like that and how that can habituate things right so it is in perfect times in the end there's not one way or another that's better because we can't make that happen and every diocese is going to have different rules so yeah. um you know if tommy decides to do that i think that's fine if he decides to wait i think that's fine right because absolutely it's just it's this is a time where it's just it's impossible to make a decision. And we're all just doing our best. Exactly. And we should be nicer to each other. Yes. All right. Ready? E. All right. From uh, Riley is indoors at Riley Cosgrove. Today, one of my friends who's trying to enter seminary told me that he was told to date around and then came back. And see, and then come back and see if he still feels still feels called. And I just cannot stress enough how bad this advice is. Women are not tools to be used for dis- in discernment. We are people by. So, um, and she's got a bit of a thread here, but I just you know, there's obviously um, there's levels of discernment. Right? Yes, there is the. I'm thinking about you know the priesthood could be a possibility. Marriage could be too, and and that'd be different. Right, like, yeah, obviously you're probably going to date because you're you haven't come to a firm decision about your vocation and 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 so on and so forth. But if you're trying to enter seminary and you wouldn't, you know, go through the process of wanting to go into a seminary, like it, the, the tweet doesn't make known if this is like a vocations director's advice or not. I have a feeling it is. Um, but if a vocation director says this. That means the man who's coming forward often today probably has been going to spiritual direction to see if this is the path he should go. And so when you're at that level of discernment, yeah, you shouldn't be dating because you're trying to give your heart to Jesus in in the church. And I just, I don't... She's right, though, because then it starts... It would, and it'd be just as equally bad if a religious congregation with a woman who's intent on wanting to enter and they said, go date first. You're using someone else for your discernment. And I just, I find that mind boggling. I find it mind boggling that someone would suggest this. Again, earlier on in discernment, that's an easier thing to suggest. You know, like I know lots of young guys who have said, yeah, I'm open to priesthood. They start dating and they get married. The discernment was pretty clear. Yeah. But if you're like, I'm ready to enter seminary and like go date. I'm just like, eh. I mean, again, we don't have all the details. Right. So. Right. But, but yeah, I just find that I find very odd advice because it is. It is kind of a using of another person. Yeah. So definitely want to affirm that like women aren't just discernment tools. That's really weird. Don't it be is weird. really weird. It is really okay. weird. But, okay, so I'm going to try to extrapolate and guess some things. Yes. Sometimes, indeed, a priest's intuition uh, 
is stronger than his wisdom. Like right. maybe this priest is meeting this young man and it's like, hmm, there's some emotional um there's something up here where this person really hasn't seen the beauty of the other vocation yet. And that will right. happen. Yep. Sometimes guys try to enter seminary because they've never talked to a girl. They're afraid of the opposite sex. They have lots of hangups. And this this can happen mm-hmm. because of not their own fault. Either wounds mm-hmm. or stuff growing up. You know, it doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that there's wounds there. Mm-hmm. Right? So he may detect that. And what he might be trying to say is, like, you need to have a healthier relationship with women so that you can give priesthood a true and genuine yes. Mm-hmm. If you're running away from the other vocations, if you don't see them as beautiful, you right. can't give the priesthood a real yes. Right. Because you can't fully give those other vocations a real and complete no. Because you don't even know what they are. You're too afraid of them. You haven't seen their beauty yet. So a really terrible way of trying to express that would be date around. <laughs> okay. Right. I was going to say like, there's ways yeah. you can heal that without right, dating. Right, right. Like become friends with women. Yeah. Right? You know, because I have sometimes I've, you know, I, I, I've not said this, but, uh, you know, I've been talking with young men and they're talking about their love for the priesthood. I'm like, that's good. That's good. But I really feel like you need to talk to some girls before you enter seminary, right? Mm-hmm. You need to have a healthier relationship with the opposite sex. Uh, mm-hmm. And and not and that can almost sound like you're using the opposite sex. Like, go get healthy. But like, that's not what you're trying to express there. Right. Um, you know, so, so maybe... Trying to a charitable reading of what we don't know the situation is. Maybe it's something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, overall, I totally understand. Like, yeah, no, no, no. Women are not. Also, date around is a weird phrase. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But but sometimes <laughs> Sorry, I think. Sorry, I'm trying to be charitable. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. Date around is an odd <laughs> phrase. We'll put it charitably. But also, but also sometimes people get really weird with dating because they get too intense with it. Right. And we've talked about this before. You know, it's okay to go on dates and have the date not work and, you know, you, you move on. Uh, not every person you meet is like, you know, the first question isn't going to be, am I going to give my life to this person forever? You know, hmm. uh, the first the first few questions are like, do we like each other? Right. Like, that's okay. It's okay to start at that level. You don't dive right into the deep end. You start shallow and you work your way in. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of how relationships work. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people can get too intense. But you also don't want to quote unquote date around because that means you're not taking it seriously at all. Exactly. There needs to be a balance. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like the opposite sex, regardless of priestly mm-hmm. religious life, True. are not discernment tools. No. That is bad. It's and weird. we strongly discourage this at clerically speaking. All right. My turn. All right, what you got? Ooh, there were so many. Uh, so There's a lot of good ones. A lot of good yeah, ones. Yeah. Oh, okay. This one. This is from. Uh, oh, I'm gonna mess up uh, this this bishop's name. Bishop Burbage. Bishop mm-hmm. Burbage at Bishop Burbage, who I've never seen on Twitter before. But uh, there's this tweet, and he says Saint Bernardine of Siena is known for spreading devotion to the holy name of Jesus. In his honor, may we consider bowing our heads whenever the name of Jesus is heard or spoken. Such a practice helps us to revere and respect the holy name of Jesus at all times. And this is a great reminder. This is very important. Because uh, actually in the liturgy, actually in the liturgy, whenever the name of Jesus is spoken, 
you're supposed to bow your head. Mm-hmm. Just a little bow of the head. Why? Because it's super crazy that God has a name that we can call him by. And the name of Jesus isn't just isn't just about his name. It's also a reference to his incarnate person. That he was a human and is a human being. It's just by saying the name of Jesus, you're entering into this deep and incredible mystery and a mm-hmm. way of acknowledging that without taking the entire day to like be taken up in ecstasy and amazement at the holy mysteries because we don't have time to do that at the very least bow your head and what i think is especially helpful is if you start bringing this into your real life it's really helpful because so many of us have a uh, a struggle or an addiction or difficulty breaking the habits of swearing or cursing because hmm. if that's if that's been a part of your life where just like swearing and cursing or saying the name of god in vain is a habit for you, it can be really, really hard to break because you don't even think about it. It just like comes out of your mouth. But if you start bowing your head at the name of Jesus, that's a, like a way to counter that bad habit and fight against it and enter into a, a more respectful one. So I like this. Bow your, na- bow your head at the holy name of Jesus. And not only that, there's actually in the liturgy, now it may not be in Novosel, but the, the traditional thing is there's actually three tiers to the bowing. Mm-hmm. You got Jesus, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Big bow. Big bow. Then a medium bow would be a Mary. Mm-hmm. And then a little bow would be for the saint of the day. Mm-hmm. So, like, I try to do that. I try to, I try to, I, I mean, I'm not, like, measuring my bows or anything like that. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I try to kind of do those three tiers. So, yeah, with St. Saint, Saint the end, you know, Jesus, I'd bow the head profoundly. Um, Mary. And then... St. Bernard, it's like a little nod, like, sup, St. Bernardine? Exactly. That's what it is. Like, hey. I know what you did. You're in heaven. God bless you. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. I got, man, I got, so there's two I want to do, but I think the other one you I want to. can do one. The other one I can leave for next week because it was a little bit closer. So cool. uh, this is from Timothy P. O'Malley, at Timothy P. O'Malley. The use of branding often personal branding in Catholic ministerial circles is worrisome. The one preaching can easily believe that he, she is the actual subject of his or her preaching. There is but one subject, the crucified and risen Lord. We at Clerically Speaking approve of this message. We do. We do strongly. <laughs> I, I like the irony of using our brand. Right, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, listen, there's obviously sometimes there's going to be branding and, and stuff for whatever reason. Um, you know, a podcast needs a title. Uh, a ministerial work, sometimes it helps for people to kind of specify it, etc. But with, I think there's a few things here. First, the whole problem around branding in general is it it's essentially using marketing techniques from the financial sector mm-hmm. for evangelization. Mm-hmm. The problem is when we start to attach that those branding tactics from the financial sector, often money comes attached with it, right? Um, so you start well, to create... that's the idea. Well, this is exactly, this is the idea. I want to make more money, but this is, this is the problem. Ministry, ministry is not about money. Okay, okay, but now, okay, but what about people who are called to ministry who have families? No, 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 no. I'm not saying they're not, listen, I'm not saying. I'm saying this before someone else does. I know. I'm not saying 
you obviously, I'm not saying you can't make money in ministry. I'm just saying it ought not to be an, a higher tiered focus. Now, obviously, so first, Tim's uh, point here, though, is more around the art of preaching. And he's making a very good point. when he, He's using technical language here, right? When he's talking about the subject of preaching. That is the primary actor in preaching, okay? For those who may not understand that. Uh, and he's saying Jesus is the actor in preaching. Not you, not me. When I'm preaching, I am, like Mother Teresa likes to use the image of a pencil, like an instrument in Jesus's hand. When a priest preaches or someone in ministry is preaching, it is in submission to Christ and his church in communicating Christ's message and allowing Christ to speak through them. And he's saying that like this branding thing can get in the way because it can say, well, it's about we have, you know, we got to be on brand with with our messaging and everything. Right. So the money question is a secondary thing. But and it's something I like. I obviously like to talk about because I've talked about it a few times, but. I think he's got a fair point. Branding's going to happen, but we always have to be careful to ensure is what I'm doing and saying in service to the Christ and his church. And I'm allowing Christ to be the primary actor. It checks you to say, am I watering down the gospel so that no one feels challenged and only inspired? Or am I putting in too much of my own opinions to the point where I am trying to force people into my version of Christianity rather than what Christ has given to the church? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is, okay, so this, this, is, this is my opinion. This is what it is. Uh, I feel that, be, I think, because clerics and religious life Clerics and religious have dropped the ball as far as preaching. Because that's what, this is what happened. If there was a need, uh, a message wasn't being told, or if a heresy was popping up, mm-hmm. what also popped up was a religious order that worked to fight it. Mm-hmm. And that life, religious life, is very conducive to full-time ministry. We live in an age where we don't have that, and for many reasons. And so lay people have taken up this cross. And it's a very heavy cross. I don't mm-hmm. think lay people are actually meant to take take up. Right. Uh, I don't think this is ideal. I don't think it's healthy. Right. That's not to say that the people who do this are bad people. Right. And it's not to say that God isn't calling them to do it. Right. Because you know God will call. I mean, I'm not denying a a, a call here. Right. Lay people have always is, worked in cooperation in ministry. Right. Throughout the whole history of the church. Right. But you see the problem when when it comes to stuff like this. Because we live in a capitalist society, you have to play by those rules to make money to feed your family. Wait, we and live some in a of society? Those rules, uh, we, whatever. Because of those rules, uh, because of those rules, it, there's traps laid for the person who does this professionally all over the place. Mm-hmm. So if you use your name for your brand, that's a trap. Mm-hmm. And I get why you have to do that, because you want people to book you, right? But there's a danger in that as well, because they're booking mm. you. They're not. Exactly. They're not trying to get a message. They're not trying to get, you know. And so it's it's a very complicated, very treacherous uh, landscape for the professional uh, lay Catholic. And I'm not saying that in this in a derogatory sense. Right. But like you also said, also you know what happens when you buy into your own brand? 
Um, people, you know, and what happens when you get your own followers and fans? And this is this is a problem for for priests who become popular as well. They mm-hmm. get a fan base, which is uh, which is terrible, which is horrible, uh, dangerous to their soul and the souls of the people who who follow them, because they end up following them and not Christ. Um, I mean, this is this is a dynamic that happens even in parishes. You know, mm-hmm. you'll have you'll have the priests who everyone loves. I, I, we're, we're leading into our topic, but like. You'll have the priest who everyone loves, and the parish you know, will get more donations and more collections. And then, as soon as that priest leaves, all those collections and donations leave because exactly. the people didn't fall in love with Christ. They didn't fall in love with the church. They, they fell, fell in, in love, love with this personality. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that priest was evil. It doesn't mean that priest was bad. Right. You know, uh, there's a lot of you know, but but something was missing there, and something can be missing in in lay ministry, if you will when branding other things take over. It's just really, really tricky. And I really caution anyone who aspires to this. I don't think you should. I think Jesus Christ should drag you kicking and screaming and you should be fighting him every step of the way to make sure it's really your call that you're going to lead your family into this very, very difficult life. And if it is your call, God will use you for great glory for himself and for the kingdom. Okay, that will happen. But it's not something that should be aspired to. No, that's my. These are my thoughts. This is my podcast. This is why we do this. I have so many thoughts. I'm gonna do my best, though. I think we've kind of talked about this before on the podcast. I don't want to kind of seem like we're beating a dead horse here, but I think instead of commenting some more, I'm gonna try and do what I've been trying to do more of. I'm gonna pray about it. I'm gonna pray about it. There you go. Because I think it's actually an important discussion and it actually might be a good topic for us to kind of address again, because I think a lot, there's a lot of, there's some who do ministry in the church who actually get essentially give a really bad name to the really great lay people who are working locally um, and, and working really hard in parishes and local Mm -hmm. dioceses and who will never ever get a name and will never get any glory and will never travel the world to do speaking gigs. Um, Because I I hate to say it because they part of the evils that can come along with this branding is some people make a lot of money doing speaking gigs. Yeah, some do. Some do. No, I know, I know, but I don't like that period. (laughs) Right, right, fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I um, and I think I think it gets it, it does two things. It gives people some sort of sense of well, maybe that can be me one day, mm-hmm. which I don't think is healthy. Mm-hmm. And it can also um, undermine again a lot of the local work that people do. I think part of the issue too is localness in ministry. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Which is another part of the question. So, but I think that's all I'm going to say for now. And then uh, when you gather your thoughts, we can go back on the Catching Fo- uh, po- uh, Catching Foxes <laughs> podcast again and fight those guys. Exactly, uh, exactly. It'll be good. It'll be like old times. It'll be good. Yeah. All right. Uh, but we're not talking about lay people no more. No we're more talking about clerics some more and priesthood some more in this week's Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Yes. yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. Can you give me 10 seconds to go get another Pepsi? Yeah, absolutely. But if it's longer than 10 seconds, so help me God. 
I will bring my wrath down upon you. I will break both your legs. I will break off your leg. And I will auction it off on our Patreon site. And I will take that money to help your rehabilitation so you can come back to full health just so that I can break your other leg. I heard you saying something. I didn't know what you said, so I guess I'll find out. I guess I'll, I'll find out on Friday. Uh, maybe, 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 maybe Nick won't keep that. Harrison, you remember when we had Sister Teresa Alethea on our podcast? Yep. Last week, and uh, she basically said, and this is what I what I heard her say. Uh, these are probably pretty close to her exact words. Um, All of our content is garbage, except when we talk about priesthood. And she really appreciates when we open up about kind of the interior life of the priest, how we see yeah. things, how we deal with things. That's the part that she listens to. That's Everything else hurts her ears and makes her sad. I heard, I, I kind of heard something similar. For me, it was more like when you guys mentioned priesthood, it's the only time I'm not trying to um, pop my eardrums. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that was, yeah, you're right. That's what she was saying. Yeah. Uh, And because we respect sister and, and And we listen and we listen, we're good listeners. Uh, (laughs) I want to talk about some of this stuff. Okay. Okay. So context, context for this. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've spoken with, with you, Father Harrison and some other people that this last year of priesthood for me has been a time of, of reflection that, you know, I'm coming up on my fourth year, like the chaos of the first two years is over. And I'm thinking about like, oh my goodness, here I am. I'm a real live priest. I've been to several real live parishes. What what is this? What is this? And it's been a difficult thing. And for me, it's been something similar to what has happened in seminary. And I don't know if I if I shared this on the podcast yet or not. But in seminary, you go into seminary full of zeal and and energy because mm-hmm. you love the church and God has asked you to do this crazy thing and you're excited for it or terrified about it. But there's a lot of energy there usually. Mm-hmm. And then you learn a lot about the church and <laughs> priests and the way things are done. And not just the theology, but the experience. You're you're living with people and you just be oh, this wasn't what I thought it was. This is more difficult. People are more complicated. Mm-hmm. The the you know, um, there's actually suffering involved in this as well. And suffering wasn't the glorious thing I thought it was. Right. And so your zeal gets gets uh tested. Mm-hmm. And purified into something new, but mm-hmm. that process—it's just the worst. It's no fun. Oh, it's no it's, fun at all. It's the worst. It's very difficult. And so I think that's what's been going on with me. Mm-hmm. And it was something I was feeling very strongly before we started locking down everything. But then once you start locking down everything, well, uh, I was speaking with uh, one priest friend, and we were talking about how we're we handling the whole lockdown thing, and he said. I'm with myself a lot more, mm-hmm. and I don't like being with myself. And I you thought that was very that was yeah, very wise. What's you can't that? run away. You can't run away from things anymore. You can't run away. You're just there with yourself. <laughs> and if you don't like what's going on there, well, too bad. And that like really beautiful and honest comment. I was like, oh, I think that's what's going on with me, uh, because I don't have the same zeal for the people of God that I used to, or mm-hmm. for even the things that I liked. You know, I was even uh, talking about, uh, like, what are the things I like about parish life? Uh, and I was trying to, like, remember because it, 
wasn't what I thought it was. And like, so, so just cop all this. Mm-hmm. And like, no, this is a bad thing. This is all actually a very good thing. Mm-hmm. And I've been walking with the Lord long enough where it's like, this is really hard, but I'm not panicking. You know, right. I still want to be a priest. Mm-hmm. I am still grateful for it, but like there's work that needs to be done here. And so I'm trying to examine uh, my thoughts, my emotions, what the Lord has been saying to me and figure out what's going on here. So I do kind of want to back up to seminary because I'm trying to think about my own formation. And uh, I went back to reading some books that I got in seminary and actually some books I got from my time at the Institute for Priestly Formation, which I'm a big fan of. Do you know what the Institute for Priestly Formation is? I know of it. I've never been, but I know of it. So uh, the short version is that in seminary, very often, they don't do a good job about teaching you about the spiritual life. (laughs) It's just something that you're supposed to figure out on your own. I totally uh, agree. Because it's very much based on an academic model and it it's it's lacking in a lot of places maybe not every place but i think a lot of places and what ipf is is basically a spirituality summer school and they do a bunch of stuff they do training for priests in um spiritual direction direction, and they do retreats and everything and they're great they're very ignatian Um, they're very ignatian but i think ignatian spirituality is actually really helpful for both lay people and secular absolutely i love it no no i that's a good thing (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, they are very Ignatian, and I think that yeah. that translates well to diocesan priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm picking up this book again, and it's called Reclaiming Our Priestly Character. It's by Father David L. Tupes. And the basic premise of the book is that when you forget who you are as a priest, everything else falls apart. Mm-hmm. And there's been a history, a, a recent history, of forgetting the fact that you once you become a priest you're a priest forever that there's something about you that has changed and your ministry flows from that and it's something that's always been upheld and he kind of goes throughout the history of this of this teaching uh and in uh in vatican ii it was also you know emphasized strongly but basically that sort of fell apart and at first i was like is it really is that really my problem that i don't understand my priestly character, the permanence of it, uh, or the depth of it. Because that seems, I don't know, is that is that the problem? I don't know. But more and more I'm thinking about it, I think it might be. Uh, so one of the things that they talk about at IPF is this presumption for permanence. And it's the idea at a certain point in your discernment, you should kind of presume that priesthood is going to be your life. You right. need to make the change from discerning to preparing, mm-hmm. preparing for, for the priesthood. And so maybe you've heard stories, or maybe this story is even about you if you're a priest. That I, I've heard a bunch of times, even from very good priests who said, up, I was walking down the aisle uh, for my ordination, I was still a little bit unsure. I think that's really bad. I yeah. don't think that's what's supposed to be. Uh, and not to say you can't become a good priest afterwards. Not right. at all, uh, you know? But like, there's something about that that's very wrong. Because if you're always discerning up to the point, you've never prepared yourself for this life. Mm-hmm. I've thought so far. I'm, I've got. I'm kind of. I. Yeah, I've been. I kind of talked a little bit about this, like when we had Sister Teresa on, right? Where I. Yeah. I feel like. I think this there's a real connection between the permanence and the celibacy. I think, mm-hmm. at least at least in the Roman tradition, obviously, even if you're a married priest, you know, you're obviously still permanently a priest. But 
there is something to the witness character of celibacy with regards to it's, it's this idea of permanence of character. And I think it, it, where I was talking about last week about how too often in the priesthood, we can treat it as like clerical bachelorhood, right? Mm-hmm. Which for me, the reason I think that's a negative thing. And I mean, like, listen, there's going to be growth in this. It's going to take time and everything. But um, the reason we need to be wary of that is it undermines the character of permanence of the vocation your life is no longer your own literally to be a priest of jesus christ as fulton sheen likes to say you are both priest and victim Mm -hmm. and so the priest the catholic priesthood always offers itself in this way which means that it cannot take the form of normal office hours right i mean this is the other thing it's also not going to take the form of a normal nine to five type of life, right? Where right. the priest, like priests do not work like regular people. We don't. Uh, either our schedules are very full, but also like prayer is our primary work. Mm-hmm. So these need to be the expressions of that permanent character that need, but I think I think the problem is, and again, it's not, because I think for a lot of us nowadays, like a lot of our generations of priests have had generally decent experiences of seminary. Yeah, right? and I would right? say I have as well. I'm right. about to trash it, but overall, right. I think my experience was good. <laughs> okay, I think we're going in the same direction, right? Because I was going to say, I, my experience was good, and they did a lot of great things, and it's a lot better from what I heard it was like in the 80s. Heck yes. I don't think they do, en- they do, they don't do enough to actually prepare us for living the life of priesthood. I think you're right. Like I missed out on the propedeutic year, the spiritual year, mm-hmm. right? Because I came in, I came in before that all came into place at our seminary. Yeah, my dad didn't have one. So, and, and a lot of guys have told me that 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 was their spiritual formation that really underpinned their whole time. And so, like that's great. So that might be an advance that I just haven't experienced. But I didn't feel like I got the spiritual formation needed. It's taken me till now, really, these last two and a half months, to really get my spiritual life in order. I'm not again. I'm not saying I never prayed. I just didn't have. It didn't have the character of a permanence that it needed before. I also don't think they talk about the sign value of celibacy enough. Mm-hmm. And what does live? What does it actually mean to be a priest? This is not a career. This is not a thing where you just you you do the priest stuff, whether it's administrative, sacramental, prayer, or pastoral, and then what you do whatever you want in your free time. Your free time is not even your own. Like I think for this is the reason I wanted to have this trees on last week is the witness of how they live community life and how they live poverty, I think is a real challenge to the bachelorhood of the priesthood. Right. And I think we're, I think, but we're all growing into this. This is going to take time. Um, but I think those are things that priestly formation could do better at. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you said those things because I think what I realized is that there is that bachelorhood in me. And my previous idea of like the bachelorhood priesthood was like, it was a very cynical thing. Right. But I don't think it necessarily has to be a cynical thing. It can kind of sneak into your life. So for me, at a certain point in time in formation, I think I stopped looking forward to the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And what by me, but I was always eager to be ordained. Right. I always wanted to be uh, a priest, but the, I stopped looking at the image of priesthood. I stopped trying to be formed to that image because formation took this turn of you need to work on yourself 
and you need to work on your woundedness and you have to make sure you're not a bad priest so the and and the the emphasis of not being a bad priest was also was very tied into the people of god Mm -hmm. you need to not be a bad preacher because the people of god deserve bad preaching you should not be a bad priest and be dumb because the people of god deserve good theology Mm -hmm. and so a lot of even though the working on myself was was good work and necessary work it wasn't looking forward to that image of the priesthood and so that image became foggier and foggier mm-hmm. and more and more about my formation became more about me and my problems and this elevation of the concept of the people of god a a kind of almost idolization of the people of god whereas like there will be the ones to fulfill you that's where you'll find your identity that's what it means to be a priest to serve to serve them is what it means to be a priest and i think this was a strong overemphasis it's definitely a part of the priesthood but i think it was it was too hard mm-hmm. because when i actually met the people of god as a priest it turns out they were a lot like me it turns out that a lot of them are selfish and a lot of them are dumb and a lot of them are mean and yeah did you, did you just call lay people dumb i called lay people like me are dumb <laughs> very okay. often okay you know you know uh yeah you do meet those like really beautiful bright shining souls in your parish but a lot of them are just people and like, like i said i am i am no better and like harrison you know this producer nick knows this riley has learned this very quickly i am not always a great person okay so i'm saying you know I, i'm not better than this at all but then it's like all of a sudden i didn't realize how much of my identity was leaning into that and i had forgotten that Christ didn't die for the good people. He died for sinners. He died for people who complain on the internet. He died for people who are rude. He died for people who don't think about other people. He died for us, wretched sinners. And wretched not in a in a kind of like uh, glossed over pietistic sense of wretched, you know? No, really stupid and annoying kind of wretched. Right. And so then I was struggled like with, okay, who who am I then? If I, I don't want to give my life to these people, I just, I don't. Yeah. And there became a selfishness there. And that's where the bachelorhood crept in. And even people who wanted to, who want to love me and show me affection, I hide from mm-hmm. because there's, that requires too much vulnerability. I don't trust them, you know, and it's, and there's a difference between being openly vulnerable and letting the people of God love you. There's a difference between that and putting up impo- barriers, like putting up certain barriers is important. Okay. Right. Uh, so I think that's how I, I let like bachelorhood like creep in uh, to my heart. And what's been uh, uh, breaking that is realizing that the people of God, like, okay, okay, I'll move to the spousal analogy because people always say that you're married to the church, but I think you can really, really misunderstand that metaphor. In a yeah. certain sense, you really are married to the church. But the church and the people of God are different. And being married to the church is different than a regular marriage. Okay. People of God are a part of the church. They're not the entirety of the church. And I might be using different terminology than, uh, or imprecise terminology. What I mean by that is like, Oh, the real point I'm trying to get. Are you to talking is, about like? Are, do you mean like the lay people are? Yeah. Yeah, you're not because yeah, because the people of God is a term to communicate is a way of expressing an aspect of right. the whole church. That is correct. But oftentimes Sorry. in seminary, I heard it as 
or is being spoken of, the people of God are the laity. <laughs> Right. Gotcha. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. So gotcha. Your language is more precise. Sorry. That's good. That's Sorry. No, no, no. The this is why the, this theologian why brain doesn't turn off sometimes. No, no. I, I'm glad it doesn't because I, I want you to keep track, and I, I need to keep going so I can get all yeah, the yeah, thoughts yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So thanks. Sorry. Okay. Uh, because in a marriage, you can and should expect your spouse to love you back. Mm-hmm. For the priests being, in a sense, married to the lay people like that that's not going to work why because you are a father to them Mm -hmm. and any father knows that your children do not always love you back right and you can't expect them to because children are small and selfish and they're still growing right right and that relationship can mature but you can't expect to be completely fulfilled by the people you serve Okay. Right, right. You need to get your your fulfillment and that kind of that 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 closeness, that deepest intimacy, you don't get to as a priest. And I think celibacy and this is why celibacy and priesthood they they dovetail so perfectly. Um because you have to get and you can only get that kind of deep uh romantic, spiritual, real, vulnerable fulfillment you have to get from Jesus Christ. Mhm. And there's a certain sense where, yeah, for the married people too, yes, but it's different. Like you can expect in a, in a married relationship, yes, God is your primary relationship, but when you're married, you can expect the other person to love you. Mm-hmm. You can expect them to care for you. You're allowed to do that. There, there's a certain vulnerability that you're allowed to enter into. You're allowed to share every part of your soul with that person you've married. Mm-hmm. The priest cannot and should not, and it would be abusive if he did, do that to all his people. Right. And I think this is what was freaking me out, because it was almost in a sense where it's like, I should get my whole identity and all of my intimacy from the people of God, but also I don't no. want to, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do that, so I was kind of left out in the open, for mm-hmm. you know, forgetting that my primary relationship needs to be with Christ. Mm-hmm. That he has chosen me to be his priest. And thing is, it's not just like for my own fulfillment. The only way you can love the people of God is to love them with Christ's love. It's Christ who's the one who's truly married to them. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of using your body to be married to them in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only be wedded to the church if you are in Christ in this in this particular way as a priest. Mm-hmm. And uh, accepting that that aspect of my relationship with Christ, that image of the priesthood, that's the thing that I need to reclaim. And I have a suspicion, and the reason why I'm sharing all this is because, like, the one thing I've learned about all of my problems is that I'm usually not the only one to have them. So right. I think it's an important thing to share and work through. Okay, I think I got out all the things I've been thinking about the last month. Okay. <laughs> I hope some of it made sense. So what, what are your what's, res- respond? Respond, Harrison. Hmm. I think what you're talking about is a misinterpretation. Yeah, like, well, first I want to say, like, I think there's a bit of, you're right, like, the spousal image is to the church in general. I guess I want to say you should always hold up a paradox, right? Because this is the that's the standard of, of Christian truth is paradox, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mary 
is both mother and spouse, if you will, to Christ. Right? She is a true right. spouse. I'm sorry, true mother. Um, but she's also represents the church as the spouse of Christ, right? So there, there's a both and at play there. Um, for the church, she is mother, but with the church, she is spouse because she is needing redemption just like all of us, right? So right. if that's the case for Christian truth, then I think it's also the case with, with, with what priesthood ought to look like. Um, that relationship with Christ is of absolute essence, um, and the fatherhood to the people is also of absolute essence. So the spout, but the spousal and the fatherhood are not um, one played over the other, but they're kind of both and at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that you can even see that that expression of fatherhood to the people is an expression of spousal love, right? And even in a way, a spousal response through them. But they are, and an intimacy with Jesus comes through them, but not, you see, they're not the end of the intimacy. They're the means of the intimacy, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. um, how do I want to put it? You, when you go, like, I was having a conversation on Monday with someone who came in to see me who's got a very aggressive melanoma cancer and wanted anointing and stuff. And so we, we sat down and chatted for a bit, right? You know, it was a good chat and, and everything. He should never be a means for me. Like he should never be, like that, that, those type of visits should never be for me um, an act of intimacy for with the person. Like in the sense of, um, like I'm not talking about like physical intimacy. I'm just talking about right. like, just like, um, where I share, we share everything with each other. Right. But it is an, it is a moment of intimacy where they're opening right. their heart. And then through that action on their part and my ministering to them, Christ is, is the person who I'm meeting through them. So they're, the, they're the means to it. And I think if, and I think that's the problem, unfortunately is priests, like you're kind of mentioning, we kind of lost Christ as the goal of the vision. Yes. Right. Um, so that I don't see the people as my need, because I tweeted about this a few weeks ago, I think. I don't, I'm, I don't want to put it on blast, but I can't think of any better way to put it. There is a lot of codependency in the priesthood between the, mm-hmm. between priests and people. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. seen it. And you see the devastating effects when a priest leaves the parish. When it happens a lot of all the time. And then mm-hmm. it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's dangerous because they've... <sighs> Yeah, it, it, it's sad because it means the priest, for whatever reason, and it's not a it's not a bad thing again. It's like it's not like again the codependency is there, but it's not like they're doing this intentionally, even right? They're yeah, just, it's not malicious. It's, it's not just malicious. That this is what happens when wounded people mm-hmm. uh, live out of their woundedness, right? And then, like my sister said last week too, like, we're all living out of woundedness. Like the, that yeah, can yeah. never be hide, hidden either, right? So, right, right, right. But this like the problem then is that those priests, unfortunately, saw. They lost Christ as their intimate love. Hmm. And so he's both, Jesus is both the end and the source. And this is why celibacy plays its role into it. If, you, if Christ is the true end 
And I think for me, this is why like these last two months have been so amazing because that's what's really been coming to me (laughs) essentially is form your life around me. Stop forming it around all these other things. Stop. And it also helps you stop worrying about what people think about you. Because in the end, like I was thinking, uh, I was preaching about this the other day, St. Paul in his preaching, uh, he said to the people of, I think it was Ephesus or Corinth, um, one of those Greek cities, he said, that his he's not responsible for their blood because he preached the gospel to them. His job was not his job was to bring them to Christ, but his and he had a great love for those people. But they were not his ultimate means of fulfillment. Christ was, mm-hmm. and so when you start referring, when you start worrying about how are people going to think about this? And I mean, and you are. You are going to worry about those things, but it, it, as long as they don't overtake you, um, you say, no, I need to preach Christ and him crucified. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can do. And some people will leave and some people will stay. And I can't help. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, I don't know. And I, that, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that was good. Thank you. And um, and it also helped me to like comprise why I said the things I said, like, I think like entering more deeply into this recaptures how the priesthood and the celibate life is unique because yes, the analogy of marriage, there's deep truth there, but it's also very much not marriage. No, it's not. I think, I think too often there can be a culture in the priesthood where it's like, we try to replace aspects of the married life when we have something that transcends it. We just do. A celibate has has things that transcend it. When you add that in with the priesthood, even more so. When we we confuse marriage with spousal as if they're the same thing and they're not. Yes, right. Um, So there's that. And so I think the presumption of permanence, the thing that was lost is that earlier on in your formation, and I would say in general, probably like two years before your diaconate, you should stop worrying, like discernment should stop and you need to focus intensely on the vision of priesthood that is actually Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and to conform yourself to a crucified love. Uh, and the reason that, uh, what kind of got me over this this hump was was something similar to what you said with the experience we were talking with that person with, uh, with cancer is uh, I ended up talking with several people and it reminded me that the people of God deserve good priests. And that I love this, and I love this ministry, and mm-hmm. I love whatever Christ is using me for is, is beautiful and wonderful. Uh, but that energy I need to do that needs to come from being cruciform. Uh, and I need to get my my intimacy primarily from Jesus Christ. That needs to be the, the vision, what I'm pursuing. And to own the fact that my priesthood is not like, is not like a different kind of marriage. Right uh, in, in a normal human like sense, it's something that's transcendent. That it's something different. It's a life that's going to be confusing to other people. I shouldn't try to make it less confusing to other people, because as soon as I try to take what the priesthood is and fit it into boxes of other vocations, it breaks down. It becomes nothing. It becomes bland. You can't right. live like that. That's how you you become uh, you become sensitive you're always worrying about your health and what you are doing you you stop being a man like all this stuff happens like you slip into bachelorhood mm-hmm. if you don't let the priesthood be this weird beautiful mystery 
and if you don't dive deeply into that. And you need time in seminary to get started with that. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't happen at your diaconate year. It should happen sooner than that. And because it's going to, I mean, it's going to continue throughout your, I assume it's going to continue throughout my whole priesthood. You know? Right. Um, but this has just been a time where the Lord in a special way has like lifted me up and be like, hey, look at this stuff. Look how you've been, you you need to work on some of this stuff. Okay. Right. Which right. is great. Because yeah. he cares about me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I hope some of that made sense. It was helpful for me because I it's been stuff we've been talking about on the podcast in different ways, you know, yeah. and stuff that's been going on in my prayer life. And bonus has helped me put together some thoughts because I finally get to go back to spiritual direction next week. So that's nice. exciting. So I hope it was helpful for other people as well. It was good for me. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> All right. Do you got anything else? I got nothing else. I need, awesome. to, I need to go make dinner. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Spiritual Direction, but don't interrupt. It's a very important conversation. And and don't eavesdrop either, because yeah. that you would can, be really bad. Even if you find me there, just leave me alone, okay? Yeah. You can find me at FR Harrison on Twitter. <laughs> Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook or email us at clericalspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.